0: What would you be willing to give up God? It just so happens to be the beginning of the year, when lots of people make New Year's resolutions and have a promise to themselves, mostly, that they will do or not do, and kind of often involves giving something up, something from now on. I don't really do it, because I find, for me, it just lasts a matter of days, and everything's forgotten. But it is a good time of year to pause, reflect, and ask ourselves some serious questions. So this first chapter of 1 Samuel is all about a woman that was so desperate, For God to bless her. That she gave the blessing back before she'd even received it. And so we're thinking together this morning about Hannah keeping her promise to God and presenting Samuel back as a Nazarite. And he (laughs) struggled. You can't tell from here. Let me just come over here. that I'm preaching part two of the story that Jonathan started last week. He could have talked about Nazarites, I will. I could talk about Hannah feeling all alone, but that's what he did. At the end of his preach, Jonathan asked a question. He said, what do you need from God? And my question is, what would you be willing to give up for him? So if you missed Jonathan's preach, by the way, you can catch up with it on your favourite podcast app. I think you can access it through the website as well. Okay, let's read from 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I'm beginning at verse 21. The words should appear behind me, thanks to the technical skills of Peter. So 1 Samuel 1, verses 21 to 28. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said, to her, do what seems best to you, wait until you've weaned him, only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him, and when she'd weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull. And they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh my Lord, as you live my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives... He is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. So Hannah is presenting Samuel back to God as a Nazarite, just as she promised in verse 11 from last week. I'm going to talk a little bit about what a Nazarite is. We'll take a tour of the Nazarites in the Bible. There's only three, it's fine. And then we'll have a think about what it all means for us today. So, what is a Nazarite? Not to be confused with a Nazarene, that's just somebody that was born in the city of Nazareth. There's a whole set of laws about Nazarites in Numbers chapter 6, if you want to go home and look them up. But basically, an Israelite woman or man could choose to take a vow to dedicate him or herself to God for a period of time. I guess you could choose a week, a month, a year, ten years, whatever you chose. And the vow they took committed them to stop drinking wine and strong drink, in fact, have nothing at all to do with anything grape-related. Not cut their hair, And not go near a dead body, not even a close relative. Now, I said this was supposed to be a voluntary and for a specific time period. It just so happens that the three examples in the Bible were basically for life. It's a time period, I guess. And all three were nominated by someone else, they were volunteered. So let's talk about Samson. He's the first one. You probably know Samson. You might have noticed that he was a Nazarite. God decided he would be, and his parents complied. They did their best to raise him that way. But Samson had other ideas. Even getting together with a Philistine woman, the enemy. How did Samson lose his strength? Well, his hair was cut. He didn't have magic hair. His strength wasn't actually in his hair. Cutting his hair broke that Nazarite vow. And so the Holy Spirit, his strength, departed. And then, of course, his hair grew again. And he brought down the whole building because he asked for God's help. They should have kept cutting his hair, shouldn't they? then we move on to Samuel. Samuel was offered to God as a Nazarite by his mother before he was born. God accepted the vow and and Samuel was, I think, pretty true to it. I guess we'll find out as we get further along in the series. Hannah wanted to wait until Samuel was weaned before presenting him to God at the temple. He'd be about three months old when she had that conversation with Alkanah, that she wasn't coming up to the temple. Not even weaned by our modern standards. Uh, sorry, definition. What we call weaning is about moving from nothing but milk to being able to eat solid food. And it starts somewhere around the age of six months, if I remember. In ancient Israel, weaning covered the whole period of nursing and care until that weaning process was complete. When it was finished, the child was considered mature enough to be entrusted to strangers. Kind of age three or four, the age when we put our kids into nursery. So Hannah was training her son to be a little human in his own right. I always get excited at how the Bible knows things that we only know from loads of research in our modern world. So if I show a baby or a young child a mirror, it's a toy that a lot of babies have, their awareness develops in like five stages. When they're first born, they look at your mirror and in their head, it's like, that's a mirror. Of course, they don't know it's a mirror. They just know it's not them. After a couple of months, they realise, oh, there's somebody in the mirror. When they reach about 18 months, this is sudden realisation. That person in the mirror is me. And when they get to about two years that person in the mirror that is me is always going to be me. I think what that means is even when I don't see myself in the mirror, oh, I've got something here, not I? <laughs> even when I don't see myself in the mirror, I, I still exist. And then the last stage, when, when they look in the mirror, they realise that what they're, what they're seeing is how everybody else sees them. So right at the age where he becomes completely aware of himself as a person, Samuel is ready to go and serve God. And so Hannah kept her promise. Look at that last sentence in the passage. And he worshipped the Lord there. So I have this Bible that tells me not just the Hebrew words at the back of our English translations, but it does give some kind of indication of the grammar of the word. And from what I can see, Samuel worshipped as his own person. You see why I kept going on about the whole weaning process. By his own choice, so he's embracing the vow that somebody else made, as promised. The promise made by his mother. I feel safe somehow, thinking that Samuel will be okay as we learn more about him. Okay, moving on to the third one. John the Baptist. Wait a minute. He's a New Testament guy. Well, I think he's the last Old Testament prophet. We just talk about him in the New Testament writings. So the angel told his parents he'd be a Nazarite. So that instruction came from God. Again, his parents complied. There's actually quite a lot of parents' spiritual authority going on through these three stories. So John's role was to usher in the new covenant And to introduce us to Jesus, who was, actually is, the saviour of the world. You see, in all this talk about sacrifice, we need to remember that God has sacrificed everything he has for us to have eternal life. Salvation is a free gift for those that, Believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it cost God his son. So we come back to our question. What would you be willing to give up for God? So, just imagine a rich young ruler who wants to inherit eternal life. Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. Yeah, I do all that, he says. You're missing one thing, says Jesus. Sell everything you've got and give to the poor. He can't do it. This man who has everything he could possibly need, want, imagine... Doesn't want to give it up. I guess he could throw a couple of coins in the pot. So, in my head, I was walking over there, but I can't because of this. And just imagine over there, you have a rich young ruler, and there's this imaginary line going from him all the way across to this side of the church, where there's a poor widow. She walks around somewhere in the vicinity of the temple, among the rich and the famous. She's kind of shuffling along, trying to avoid drawing attention to herself. And she puts what she has, her two coins, in the offering. She's got almost nothing but gives everything. The only person that noticed was Jesus. And he called out to his disciples She's just put in more than anyone else. Everything she has to live on. So I'm not particularly making a point about money here. But if that's what God is speaking to you about, all good. It is about our willingness, it's about our hearts. Any gaming gurus in the room? There's nothing wrong with gaming. But what does it cost you? How much time does it take? How much does it cost you in terms of relationships with the people around you? What about social media superheroes? Do you need to slow down your scrolling? That's just a couple of examples that came to mind. You might already know what God is speaking to you about right now. And Duncan stood up and he brought something that I hadn't even thought about. What about all that stuff that you've got in your head that's worrying you? It gets in the way. And what does all this giving up business have to do with us keeping a promise? Well, when we become Christians, we receive salvation and we commit our lives to God. We promise to let him replace our sinful old ways with his much better ways on an ongoing basis. It doesn't happen just like that. So I'm talking about giving things up as God leads us to keep that promise. Perhaps the band could come back just for a final song, just as I bring this all together. So I'm not trying to set rules for you about what you should or shouldn't do. That's something that you and God have to work out together. I am talking, and it's been referenced again earlier on, about being intentional about our relationship with God. And as Paul puts it, pressing on in faith. And that will include sacrificing things that are not helpful to us or they get in the way. So last week we had this really significant word about God being intentional. And we need to be intentional with him. I am doing a new thing, God declared over us this morning. And we need to make ourselves ready. So this afternoon, at home and beyond, think about where you are on that line. From a young, rich young ruler through to a poor widow. I hope you discover you're closer to the widow than to the rich young man. Maybe we can just pray together. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die on a cross to save us from our sins. Jesus, thank you that you came and sacrificed everything for, you, for us. God, will you speak to each one of us in the coming days? Show us which parts of our lives produce fruit and which need to be pruned. And as we create room for you to work, I pray that we will bear much fruit. Thank you for all you've been speaking to us today. Let it be to us according to your word. Amen.